Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. And this is an exciting moment for us, Young Me. I believe our guest this week is our first DJ no. slash music producer. Oh, actually, okay. no. Not no, first actually, DJ, no, Brian, Not our first DJ. I know. I, we, nowadays, wow. we, we've done so many episodes that we've gotten to this run where we'll say first everything. And it turns out, uh, guest God, has not Brian. been introduced yet. You are not our first DJ. <laughs> um, our yes. first non-Korean DJ. How about that? I Is know, that... yeah. <laughs> Famously, we have our had... first ever. Yeah. <laughs> Famously, we have had Nancy Wang on the podcast, friend of the pod. But and Yeji. And Ye. Oh my God! First, Brian. I know. Jesus. Well, Jesus, get it together, man. What am I? Yeji and Nancy. I'm so sorry. But that's our true. First, first ever non-Korean DJ. Non-Korean DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you just add non-korean to anything and you could be the first of a lot of things in this world i'm just letting you know if you're if you're like somebody in this world and you have a job and you're feeling like you know you need a title just add non-korean in front of it and wham you're the first okay (laughs) so (laughs) listeners you're in for a treat this week our guest this week is a dj slash music producer (laughs) Everyone, give it up for Sajib Saha, aka Jai Wolf. Yo, how's it going? How'd I do on that intro? Good. After I mistakenly assumed you were first DJ, and then you were relegated to first non-Korean DJ. <laughs> so great! I was I was wondering if I could jump in. Uh, I was like trying to not laugh too much during that whole intro. We run a really tight ship here. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I no, it's fine. It's like we've. I, I feel like Brian always does the intros, and he is so gr- he. So, I'm so thankful because I fuck up everything, and there have been times where Brian's mispronounced names, you know, gotten the <laughs> credits wrong, and he is better than me. I'm just saying because I would just fuck it up every week. So, thank you, Brian, for taking taking the <laughs> obligation, the responsibility. Oh, oh wow! With wow, great wow. responsibility comes great. <laughs> possibilities to fuck up and brian is doing it every week everyone oh my goodness (laughs) damn it brian it's an honor it's an honor you know i woke up this morning and i was like you know what i'm I'm feeling like i'm in the mood to uh appear unprofessional and make some mistakes (laughs) on my job and here we are but um sajib thanks so much for joining us on the pod uh you know we we're always excited to speak to djs because uh you know, it's it's a much cooler job than being a comedian slash podcaster, but also I feel like uh, electronic dance music is. I'm gonna generalize here. It's 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 uh, it goes hand in hand with Asian American culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's extremely true, especially uh, especially if you ever go to the Bay Area, like on the West Coast, it is just just you know you've seen the memes they love they love dance music oh. dance music and false eyelashes i think the, and those are the memes that i'm and, seeing and yeah, bo- yeah. and boba, boba. and you know and elenium <laughs> wow so what's so elenium you, what's yeah, elenium? what is elenium oh man wait how old are y'all i'm 32 I'm in my 50s <laughs> <laughs> okay uh well elenium is like a really 
really popular DJ. Like he plays arenas now. He played Madison Square Garden a few years ago. He played like a, a stadium in Vegas. He is oh. so popular amongst not just millennial Asians, but even Gen Z Asians as well, I guess. But like he, he does like, I guess you could call it melodic bass music. Um, oh. It's a subgenre of EDM, whatever. But he's like so insanely popular with, with Asian people and just a lot of memes of like oh his entire he plays he was he's so popular that he pl- he was the one white white guy on the 88 rising festival last year no um, way that is yes. hilarious H- head in the clouds fest like you know with joji and rich brian and all of them, oh like, yeah yeah they they slapped elenium <gasps> on the lineup and he i think he was the only white person oh so, yeah, yeah that's i'm on his spotify the right first now. ever non-ever yeah. dj a non-korean dj at 88 yeah, so rising everyone me <laughs> first non-korean dj on this podcast elenium first non-korean dj playing head in the clouds fest are there like palpable differences between west coast edm scene and east coast edm scene like do you prefer performing in the bay area in la um there's definitely a big difference i i i don't want to like diss Uh-oh. anyone in new york because i'm from new york i love it's playing all, in new york it's all love and positivity yeah. good vibes only on this podcast yeah it's just different scenes and the scenes have changed over like last few years like like house music is really popular and i, I think in new york like niche club circuits are are more popular where like mm. you can go to like random clubs in bushwick or yeah you know there's also mm-hmm. bottle service clubs in manhattan there isn't really like a or for the last 10 years for a long time there wasn't really like a proper edm circuit kind of like there was webster Mm. hall that existed for a really long time that would bring in the the a-list edm people and then now obviously with brooklyn mirage over the last three years there's like a circuit through that venue but Mm. there's something a little different about the west coast out there it's just the grip is a lot tighter and i I think (laughs) here because like you know in new york there's like a hip-hop scene and then like an indie rock scene and and all that but but for some reason like edm there's more festivals on the west coast there's more like you know insomniac operates out of there they do edc in vegas um so that whole like ecosystem sort of trickles into each other where like you got fest in san bernardino san diego las vegas uh norcal santa cruz San Luis Obispo, like random sand cities that I never heard of <laughs> until I started touring. You start to like yeah. get into the crevices. Like not, you're not just going to San Diego. You're going to Santa Cruz, San Luis Obispo. Like, San Luis Obispo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, slow down, baby. Slow, slow yeah, down. which I love playing in slow. They're, they're so much fun. But yeah, the West Coast is just, it's, um, it's just different. The, the grip mm. that electronic music has oh, yeah. out there is, is a little stronger. I, you just took uh, so much nostalgia just washed over me because I did my undergrad out in LA and mm. in a past life, I was a big EDM festival guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, did you ever go to Hard, hard Do you go to Hard Summer? I went to Hard Summer. Oh, oh yeah. what's, I, what, what year? Uh, this was back in 08 and I went, Oh, you went to the, you went to the original. Oh yeah. Early days. Like my, justice, my, justice, dead, dead mouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Cause <laughs> like my first, oh, my um, God. my first hard summer was 2015. Mm-hmm. And I think cause I came in kind of like in the mid 2010s, like it's funny. Cause if you look at the lineup, I'm like at the bottom, bottom row. And then <laughs> wow. all the, all the headliners are like Jack, you Arl Grime. Dylan yeah, Francis yeah. Porter, like the cream of the, it was such an insane lineup that year. Um, but I've seen videos. I mean, there's that very famous video of like Dead Mouse doing Hard Day of the Dead in like 2009 or something at the Shrine. Yep, yep. 
and like it's just crazy that you're like, i was there you're you being there. at that era that's some rare I'm shit old for head. Sure. yeah that's awesome old though head. brian's an old head i'm an old head i'm, I'm aging should myself I, <laughs> should i leave i feel like i'm just gonna I'm, i am so much older i'm just like i don't even 2015 i was in my 30s <laughs> oh my god younger. that's sick though that's sick that's you know different different perspectives Youngly, you're the you're the true OG. You were like going to LCD sound system before anyone even knew who the fuck they were. Mm. <laughs> I was, I was, I was like listening to like punk rock music back in the day. You know, like that. I mean, same. I was a big, I was a big Fall Out Boy, Blink One Eight Two. Okay. I know that's pop punk. It's not like straight up punk, but you know. Well, we're gonna you know dive more into um, I'm your so backgrounds fascinated by this. and yeah. unearth more about EDM culture. But before we do so, we want to ask each other how we feel. So, Young Me. How are you feeling? So I was just feeling really guilty. <laughs> Always, I mean, this is my <laughs> fucking welcome to feeling Asian. Mm-hmm. I was feeling ashamed and guilty. Um, I was okay. I was like, I don't know. I just feel like. Do you ever feel like? I know Brian's talked about this before, but like, I get in these like uh, periods of my life where for like weeks or months on end, I'll like feel like shit, and I won't even know. Like, they'll just be like background noise behind my mm. head. And then, you know, I went to therapy this morning and then I like talked about it and I was like, I just feel like I never work enough. And, you know, I'm a single mom, so I have to watch my son and then do work. And I but I did come up, I did like discover something very interesting today about, you know, all this, because obviously I've talked about this before in therapy. I, I realized that I don't value the work that I do as a mother. I don't see that as work. And I don't see that as valuable, which is like really like Yo. internalized misogyny of me, you know? Oh. I'm like, so when I have my son, like I had my son for like over a week and, you know, he doesn't, he's not in school right now. So he was with me the entire time. And so every right, day right. I took him to the pool or the beach because I was like, we have to do exercise, you know, every day. And of course I made him three meals every day and, you know, whatever comes with motherhood, you know, giving right. him a bath and blah 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 and right 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 when he falls down putting band-aids on him blah 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 and the whole week like i wasn't really able to do right or do something creative or um i i could do work but it was just like the work that i had to do if there's like a deadline i had like a deadline this week and i had to do this project and yeah. i had to check my emails like i could do that but i couldn't do the extra work that i also wanted to do on top of that yeah. And I was like fucking judging myself. I was like, why am I so fucking lazy? All I did. And then I kept saying to my therapist, like all I was doing was like laying around the house all day. And she was like, what are you talking about? Like, didn't you have your son? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, so did you make him three meals a day? I was like, yes. And she was like, and you did all the motherhood stuff. I was like, yes. And she was like, and then you said you took him to the pool and the beach every day. I took him to fucking Rockaway on the goddamn ferry. And I was yeah, like, and Jesus. she was like, you should, you should not was, do any work for a week after you take your son to the Rockaways on the goddamn ferry. You, just you've one time. <laughs> <laughs> Going on the ferry with a child one time, you'd need a month long vacation after that. Um, and so when she said that, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I've been like so busy. Why don't I value my work as a mother as real work? Mm. that's fucked up but you know obviously society tells women that right it's like right, just right. something you have to do for free because that's what women do or whatever and it's so weird because people get paid to do that you know like oh yeah absolutely if i had a nanny I, 
if I had a full-time nanny, that person would be paid like $6,000 a month, you know, right? minimally. I, I don't actually know how much nannies get paid. I'm sorry <laughs> if that's way off. I was like, $5 a month. I don't know. But like, um, so she was like, oh, it's weird that you don't value that work. And it kind of like reset my brain. And, it, and then I stopped feeling so bad because I was like, oh, I don't, I don't feel so guilty. I was doing a lot of shit this week. I just, Oh, for yeah. some reason i'm not valuing it the same as other productive work you know it's like capitalism like i gotta <laughs> do work that makes me money you know like and I, totally. it, it was a good like reset for my brain i think so i'm feeling better after talking to my therapist because i was feeling really guilty this morning it seems so hard young me because i see it yeah. you know like we work together on this project but then oh yeah you have a full-on other human being to take care of <laughs> but isn't that so weird brian that i don't think of that as work i mean honestly as i've gotten older yeah. i have so much more respect for my immigrant mother now because i'm like oh you raised me but in addition you were working like so goddamn yeah. hard every single day yeah yeah wild <laughs> like i don't know how you did it <laughs> yeah brian did you ever see that tweet it said the viral tweet it was like does your immigrant mom know that you call her your immigrant mom <laughs> <laughs> I, it's okay i do that too <laughs> yeah 100%. um anyway how are you feeling brian oh uh, that's so funny um <laughs> <laughs> My uh, i feel i feel great right now i i would say the past three weeks my I, i've been working really hard to meet this deadline um to submit this for this project and it's finally done i submitted so right now i'm just like chilling out and relaxing i don't Yay, know short and congrats. sweet thank you <laughs> does I it know, feel weird like, i feel like yeah it's such a mixed bag whenever i turn in something big now that it's done i'm kind of like oh man like was it good i don't know but mm. in any case finished I, I worked really hard. I did my best these past three weeks and it feels fucking great. A huge relief off of my shoulders. So congrats. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are catching also, me at a good moment right now. I'm so proud of you, Brian. <laughs> Do I sound Damn. like that's something your immigrant mom never said? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. I'm proud of you, Brian. Oh, well thanks, also can me. I just add, um, because I know what you did was fiction. I feel extra vulnerable about fiction i don't mm. know like if i if i'm writing something that's like non-fiction that's a little less scary for me i don't know really i find that yeah i find that I'm, i I feel the opposite anything that's oh, non-fiction or like biographical yeah. if yeah. it gets rejected um then i just assume like okay, well, this is all I had to offer. This is my lived experience, and I guess I'm just not that interesting of a person. My life is, I guess my life is bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, how about you, Sajib? How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I had kind of a, a hectic week, but pretty excited to be home. I've, I've been um, traveling on the weekends for shows. Um, basically, like, in the summer, like, um, it's like festival season so like you you play show on friday you fly out you come back um wow. and so i like being home a lot because last year like when vaccinations uh happened like all these yeah. tours got announced and everyone was trying to get mm -hmm. back on tour because like i didn't tour for 18 months which is an insanely wow. long time during covid so yeah. i was just thrust into like a five month long 
stretch. I did two support tours. So I went around the US twice last year. Wow. Um, wow. So it's quite aggressive. Um, this year has been a moderately more chill or relative, sorry, relatively more chill. Um, yeah, yeah. But every time I'm home, every time I'm in Brooklyn, I like really like cherish being home, seeing all my friends and doing like, like I really take joy in um, going grocery shopping or, or just like <laughs> normal activities. <laughs> like I, I like doing yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But uh, hearing young me talking about um, having a kid and and like, I was going to talk about like how I had to fix a faucet <laughs> that, is not, that does not compare to having to raise a child or something. Cause like for me, like as I enter my, I just turned 30 last year, like, yeah. uh, having to do adult shit. I, I've been like, no one teaches you how to fix a faucet. No. And, and my, yeah. and my, my, my building has been very strict about plumbers coming in and insurance and all this. Like I've been all the, on all these like email threads about workers comp and certificates of insurance and all that i'm just oh like God. i was like i don't know how any of this stuff works like this is so beyond me there's no nothing in life that like teaches you this so i've had a broken faucet for two, two months now oh, and, God. and like it's funny how you know you young me you talked about the value of work and um how how you see things like that how you perceive that like for me mm -hmm. I, I think about time a lot and and uh and, and this goes back to what Brian was saying about immigrant parents. Like my parents were superstars. They did everything. I don't get how they cleaned the house, took care of me, cooked all my meals and right. got their PhDs and their masters. Like at the same time, what? dropped me off at like wow. vi wild, <laughs> dropped me off at like violin lessons. Like it's actually so insane to think about. So here I am like in my thirties, have no idea how to like get a, get a, get my faucet fixed. It's just funny. But you know, at the same time, like there's, there's a privilege in that, like not having to go through the things that your parents went through. They went through totally. that. So, so you don't have to go through the same thing, but then mm. sometimes I can't help, but feel so useless in life. Like, you know, my job is just, just turning buttons and looking at a computer all day. And <laughs> I just feel, I just feel like not like unmanly, but just like, yeah. I feel useless as a human being sometimes. <laughs> Wait, can I add something though? Yeah. Just to, just literally on the same line of what you just said. I was also like talking to my therapist about how I, I'm like, I'll like after, you know, watching my son, I'll do my work, which is making, I'm doing um, air quotes, by the way, making me money. And it's literally me sitting like typing on a computer and I will feel like this is a worthless thing that I'm doing, even though I'm making money from it and it's technically work. And so literally like, um, I, I think I came to this idea that I saw my mom, you know, like my immigrant mom, like suffering and like doing work that seemed really substantial. And my work in comparison is so like, quote unquote, easy. So I have guilt about that, too. Mm. So I literally talked about that wow. same feeling. Yes, yeah, weird. Yeah. Like I for me, being an artist is weird because like for me, work is. 24 7 365 like I, i've talked to my home friends about it who are, they're like doctors and lawyers and yeah. engineers that have like real jobs they're yeah. like oh you're so lucky you don't have a nine to five and i'm like well i do have like a very rigid and structured schedule that sometimes will bleed yeah. into after hours like i'm working at mm. night or i'm working on you're the week you're always working you're always kind of working so my yeah. my guilt definitely comes in the form of like uh the fact that like well, like I don't have a work, like my work life balance is definitely in flux. Like it's, it's yeah, really yeah. weird to, 
to to deal with that. So my guilt comes from like not sometimes not being able to manage like interpersonal relationships or family time where I'm right. like, oh, I sh- I should just be working. Like I don't know, right, guilt can right. guilt can come in like different shapes and forms, you know. Yeah. And another thing, can I ask you? I I mean, obviously you you enjoy and love your work a lot, right? Mm-hmm. That was another thing I talked about because I get pleasure from my work. I feel like it's not substantial or not enough. Like I ha- mm. I feel like I have to be suffering for it to be like quote unquote mm. work or something. I don't know if you feel the same way, but um man, there's so <laughs> many there's a lot of different ways to look at that. But one would be yeah. um, suffering for your art, like going through emotional suffering to write music. That's like a a specific kind yeah. of like personal suffering. But then there's also like suffering like grinding like you're like in the studio working that's like a different kind of suffering right i would say there's been a lot of talk about the emotional side where like you don't have to be depressed to write good art like that's obviously Mm. a toxic way of approaching life right right but then on the grinding side i will say that i think all artists will reach a certain point where the work becomes quite consuming, especially as, mm-hmm. as you sort of scale mm. where it's just, there's some very tight deadlines and, and tight like production schedules. Like um, we just played uh, a big show in Denver a few uh, last month in at Red okay. Rocks and oh, build, building that show and programming it and writing the music and and being involved with the lights and visuals was like there was very tight deadlines for getting all that stuff done late hours a lot of labor 10 plus person crew like putting it all together it you are in the trenches yeah so in in that regard suffering is quite inevitable i would say but some part of it is just like it's just scaling I, i think about this in terms of pop stars a lot because i think the most common thing people say about pop music or pop stars is like oh anyone can do that anyone can write a pop song anyone can be a pop star they're the easiest life but yeah when i look at like stadium tours or arena tours and the amount of effort that gets you know put into creating a show that involves choreography and dancing oh, and all that yeah. stuff it's so yeah. mind-boggling like and i've a it's yeah. wild it's so wild yeah and like i know like for us superficially like we see <laughs> like fun part. the fun parts yeah they're they're like partying yeah, the or fame clubbing, and the money the fame and yeah. the money they're hanging out on a yacht like all that yep. stuff but right, they don't right. but people don't see the like the inordinate amount of hours spent in like a studio or a dance rehearsal yep. or stuff like that and that's where like the true mm. grind comes out also i have yep. to say i think because people don't see the hard work part when they when they find out like a pop star is like a addicted to drugs or something they they say oh they're so spoiled like mm-hmm. they have such a great life and they're rich and famous and they have to do all these drugs but it's actually a lot of them are using drugs to cope to, to with cope. the extremely yeah. right. difficult yeah. life that they have that's that another people th- aren't seeing that's another thing yeah. in terms of what people see and what people don't see is like yeah. um I was thinking about this in terms of lengths of time. So like um, that Red Rocks performance we did was 80 minutes, right? So I'm on the stage for 80 minutes. And and when when we play festivals, um, the set is usually 60 minutes, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. So what you're seeing is like 60 minutes of like pure joy, pure ecstasy, like happiness, fun, excitement, like cool lifestyle, whatever. 
you know, on Instagram, you see a photo, you know, you see videos, 30 seconds, like you see all the highlights, but like the Mm -hmm. ratio of the time on stage compared to the time spent getting to the stage is so insane. It's like, it's like an iceberg. Like we're only seeing just the tip. But just a tip, yeah. And then so many hours of production yeah. that just go into thousands, that show. Thousands, and people yeah. are like, "What? You worked for sixty minutes in one day, and you made like five million dollars? Who cares?" Like they think that way. With, they think that way. Not yeah, even seeing they're yeah. not saying that the thousands, especially when it's like, like I said, Oof. after hours stuff. Like you know, it's funny. I I've talked to my friends about this. The concept of happy hour is fascinating to me. The idea that at like five six p.m. you go out, you grab a drink after work. Because yeah. I'm I'm usually working at like five or six p.m., so the yep. idea of just like stepping out to grab a drink, maybe at like eight p.m., maybe I'll meet a friend and like hang out for like an two hours tops, but like mm-hmm. that to me is very I'm just fascinated by it because I'd, I've never like participated in like a happy hour of like oh we're getting mm. drink drinks at five five p.m. whatever, um, yeah. But yeah, the it's work- a very nine to five thing. Yeah. If you don't yeah. work a nine to five, it's hard to understand, I think, or hard to yeah. fit. Do you yeah. feel like if you ever do that, it feels like a waste of time because that's like time you could be performing? Yeah, that's actually something that I like experienced earlier this week because I, I had a friend in town who wanted to grab drinks and I was like, oh, let's do 830. And, you know, they had a dinner and they were like, oh, let's do 10 i was like yeah. uh, like I, I try to wake up early i try to be productive but i felt really bad i felt really guilty and the next day i i made an effort to go see him and which i didn't regret it was such a great just like he's like a music industry person very yeah, very yeah. like very sharp and i didn't regret that social interaction but yeah sometimes you have to like make sure that you give yourself some space away from your work you know because mm. doing stuff beyond your work is can be equally as meaningful as the work itself i would say so you know we live in this like hypercharged time right now and to use young me's analogy like let's say that your shows is a lemon and like now mm. more than ever it's all about like juicing every last drop of mm-hmm. pulp that's mm-hmm. in it and it amounts to like you know instagram posts and like posting these experiences that are very litty so that as mm-hmm. consumers we're only seeing like oh mm-hmm. fuck yeah like this is mm-hmm. fucking lit this is a great time the vibes are immaculate mm-hmm. let's go to this yeah and i'm wondering how much has like the edm scene changed since you started making music to like present day now where we are like seeing all these experiences on instagram yeah um you know that's a really good question um i would say that a few things have happened. I think social media has changed a lot. Um, and I also think the scene has changed a lot. I would say 10 years ago, you know, the cream of the crop, you would have like David Guetta, Steve Aoki, Swedish House Mafia, you know, they're playing Ultra, Izu, EDC. And like that, like American EDM vibe was very bro-y, very in your face. Like, you yeah. know, Steve Aoki's like throwing the cake in the crowd, like stuff like that, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so that, that was... And, and, you know, then there's also the, obviously like the alcohol aspect of just like you're just chugging drinks while DJing. It's like they, they go hand in hand. Um, also, for context, right. I've been I've been sober for almost three years now. I don't drink alcohol anymore. Okay. Um, and so which is kind of related to this. I'll explain in just a second. But mm-hmm. I would say that the scene has changed a lot since then because there's there's all these subgenres of electronic music that are so popular. There's like chiller genres. There's like Elenium. He makes like melodic bass music, which is like 
dubstep meets future bass. There's like Porter Robinson and Odessa. I feel like I, I fall a little bit more into that world. Um, house music kind of comes in waves. Like 10 years ago, it was like progressive house, super like Swedish house mafia, Alesso, Avicii. Now it's yeah. like Chris Lake, Tech House, John Summit. Like those people mm. are very, very popular. Um, and so, you know, the, the subgenres come and go, they come in waves like that has changed a lot since then. And there's definitely a lot more like niche places to yeah. exist that that are mm. beyond the scope of like mainstream A-list EDM where like everyone right. can find their little hub. And in terms of social social media, I think what's interesting is that like. Um, well, I guess for TikTok, like very unavoidable to talk about, but TikTok is like mm-hmm. one place where a lot of people have been posting and like showing a more like raw personal side of themselves, I guess, where like it's less mm-hmm. about being a rock star and more like, oh, I'm a relatable person. I have a personality. I'm funny. You could like mm-hmm. post about your your niche, your niche interests. Like mm-hmm. I have a cat, so I just post videos of my cat on my TikTok, I guess. And then oh. that's just, so interesting. That just yeah. brings in anyone who likes cats and who likes my music and finding a little cross section there. But I don't know. People right. use yeah. people use social media to their advantage. There's so there's like no right or wrong way to use it. Like like remember Dylan Francis, like he would post skits and he would make vines. And then yeah, that yeah. was that was that was kind of like a way to like get people to check out his music and all that, you know. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, can I ask because we were talking to we were talking to Jeff Staple last week and he was oh, talking cool, about yeah. when he when he founded his company in the nineties, mm-hmm. it's like you didn't know what the founders of these companies ever look like and he mm-hmm. was talking about now it's like you're it's very front face. like i'm the person that owns mm-hmm. this brand and yeah. i and i stand for this like it, for example i'm vegan or you know mm-hmm. i'm an asian person so mm-hmm. blah 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 and he's like oh that landscape has changed and it sounds like it's kind of happening for djs as well is, is that yeah. what you're kind of saying that's um that's true i actually have an example of that so like i would say that my brand you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm full on mysterious because there's a lot of people who like hide their face and don't really like show their face mm-hmm. a lot. But I never yeah. really like leaned into my image for a really long time. And I think that's quite a common thing in electronic music. Like, you know, throughout the years, people, I would have friends who'd be like, yeah, I don't really know what Flume looks like, but I love his music. Or I don't really know what Odessa looks like, but I love love their music. Right. And for me, it, it's there's kind of like two different aspects of this that I find really interesting. One was that a lot of people didn't realize I was a, a brown person. Uh, a lot of people oh, wow. thought I was like white and I just like, like for Indian summer, I like sampled a, a, a brown thing. Even like Sara, like you know, when we met like two years ago, she was like, dude, I, I thought you were a white person for the longest time. <laughs> um, oh, so there's so there's that aspect of it. And then I would say the whole front facing or face focused thing of your brand um, is common when like on Instagram, I noticed that like if I posted my face, I got more engagement than if I posted like show content or like about mm-hmm. music or anything like uh. that, where like obviously like mm-hmm. the audience on Instagram has changed because like Gen Z, they're now reaching their late totally. teens, early 20s. They want to see like w- who you are as like a human being and they, they don't really see like they see through like anything that makes you seem like a celebrity not saying right, i'm a celebrity right. but anything that has that right. has that facade of like oh i'm like an elite person or whatever you know they want to see like that's fascinating yeah they want to is that uh, going away do you think the like I, whole because i yeah oh yeah well, we had a guest a couple of weeks ago with caitlin chan and she shared this article with me about 
so fascinating. This so what we're talking about right now is this concept of like influencer creep of how mm. like the lifestyles of influencers like if we define it they're very good at like gaming algorithm and like having a maximum brand presence on social media mm-hmm. but mm. that the effects of that have creeped into all of our lives of like whether Dude. you're a dj right. whether you're yes. a comedian whether yeah. you're like a plumber yeah. and yeah. i read this at <laughs> i read this atlantic piece how zoomers so we're talking like 16 year olds 17 year olds yeah. the new way apparently the new wave is being totally anonymous so they think that like attaching your name to anything on social media is like very corny and the whole concept of brand they're like trying to like move away from that so like discord's really popular oh i see see what you're saying having the username like like rubber rubber duck like 43 like that's (laughs) my that's my online persona that's my thing oh that's so, so funny. It's, it's cool. Like we're kind of it's in. Like the, so, I, I, uh, yeah. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we like move away. I don't know. Mm. But it's such I a would great say, point, I would say it goes. I think there's like two levels to that. Because like in regards to influencers, like they something I saw on TikTok is like with kids promoting their music on there. Kids like it. Like if you like you. you how do I explain this? You have to like promote yourself as an artist, like an influencer versus uh, like an artist. So like yeah, yeah. kids really resonate with mm-hmm. people on TikTok who like are like talking about their lifestyle or their fits or like the get ready with me, like trend, like yeah. they want to see people right. doing relatable things like that. And then that funnels into like, Oh, I also make music. Check out my music, you know, Cause right. p- people want to like crazy. fall in love with like, a personality i guess but the yeah. brand the brand thing that yeah. you're talking about being anti-brand is really interesting because i'm i'm kind of i'm very i want to say i'm anti-discord i'm just i've reached the point in my life where i just can't get on another social media thing so i'm oh, totally i'm just not i'm with you right I have there. no idea what you're talking about <laughs> like i've already lost i've already like d- dived into tiktok over the last two years so discord for for young me's context like is yeah. is like um imagine like reddit meets aim messenger remember aim mm-hmm. back in the day yeah. so yes. it's all it's all instant <laughs> it's not forum based because on reddit right. you're not you're not chatting you're commenting mm. but um it's like reddit in the in the sense that there's niche communities and sub communities for different like video games or niche right. interests like music or sports um, but the messaging aspect is more like aim where it's instant. So because I don't exist on there, I, I cannot speak too much on like the popularity of being anonymous. I'm going to have to read that article. I'm, mm. I'm very curious. But yeah. uh, in terms of TikTok, yeah, though, where you're talking about plumbers or people with um, niche professions, like I see people like lawyers on TikTok, like making TikToks about law and gating like 100,000, yeah. 200,000 person audience. Yeah. Because yeah. weirdly, by creating a platform on TikTok as a lawyer, what that does for anyone with like 100,000 plus followers is open up branding opportunities. It's really yeah. fascinating. Yep. And that just weirdly opens doors to, you know, if you touch back on capitalism and, and squeezing a lemon. Yeah. Is that it just opens up having some sort of relationship with some sort of brand where you can potentially get a paycheck out of it that's kind of like what that leads to yeah and it's interesting because people don't view that as a as a talent and it's a huge talent to be able to like navigate tiktok on top of being a lawyer because one of the the funniest people that i follow on tiktok is is a lawyer and Mm -hmm. she's hilarious Mm -hmm. and i like love her content i have such mixed feelings because i agree with you young me that 
that is a mm. talent there is that right. that the, the the talent of marketing like being relatable through a phone screen like that's the talent you're implementing but at the end of the yeah. day i'm like just be a fucking good lawyer that's how i feel about doctors because i will never be treated by a doctor on tiktok because anytime For, i see I, I agree anytime i see a doctor a dentist or a nurse in between shifts make not, not the informational ones the ones who are dancing i'm just I'm like, like oh, no. i'm not going to you i'm, I'm not going to you zero stars on Zocdoc. I, I i commented once <laughs> like kind of throwing shade and some people some doctors responded like some of us have such hectic schedules this is how we like let loose <laughs> like, and then some of them get in trouble to still be like go like say something about their patient or something yeah it's it's weird like yeah. Just, just be so like an old school doctor. Just go into the pharmacy Man. cabinet and the, treat yourself the, that way. The crazy thing, though, that um, in, in relation to music that's really interesting is like um, there's kind of this gold rush now because now mm -hmm. that it's been kind of there's like proof of concept of that. Like you could post on TikTok, you could sign a record deal, you could go on tour. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. what I see now is that a lot of these kids have this like this very rabid hunger to market themselves and you know yeah. i don't want to throw shade or anything I, I find tiktok fascinating and it's obviously a very viable marketing vehicle but they're just turning into little marketing machines of like oh, for yeah. sure go listen to my song and coming up with ways to like convince people to check them out but the problem yeah. that i'm yeah. seeing is that some of these kids are really good at making the catchiest 10 seconds like a snippet Ooh. But right. then, like really bad, bad. <laughs> you gotta songs. have you gotta have the goods. You the foundation you the needs to be good. You gotta have yeah. the goods. It's because they like they, it, yeah. It's because they like um they make music with the intention of it being popular For on TikTok. TikTok. So like the snip, yeah. the snippets will be like the coolest thing ever, and right. then like I'll I'll go listen to a song and I'm just like ugh like it's ugh. it's yeah. not I can't why like, why would I, I choose <laughs> listen to you for three three minutes you know. Um, well, Brian and I have seen that with comedians on TikTok because like you'll have seasoned comedians that are that have done it and then and then they move their content into social media. Mm -hmm. And so then if you see them live, they're actually mm -hmm. funny. But then there's people that just created comedy videos for TikTok and then they'll blow up mm -hmm. and they'll have a live show. And it's like they don't know how to do. Yes, I've seen lives. that before. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of interesting. I think about that with. In terms of live, I think about that with shows too, because sometimes kids will be like really talented producers, but and right. I, I'm always like, but can they perform? Like, can they yeah. like translate what can they're they? doing through through a screen? Can they translate that into a live performance? And like, there's still a lot of like untested waters. One yeah. example that I was thinking about for a really long time is Lil Nas X, who I'm actually mm -hmm. a really big mm -hmm. fan of. I was thinking about mm -hmm. him too. He was one of the first people to blow up on TikTok. And I like, yeah. I like his music. I'm a fan. I love his presence. And I've seen his... Um, TV show performances at the VMAs and I think they're all yeah. great. But one thing I noticed is that he put off going on tour for three years. His first tour, which is an, oh, I think wow. like an arena tour is this fall. Wow, and okay. Old Town Road oh. came out three years ago, you know, right. and he's had, he's dropped an album. He's finally doing this tour. So it's interesting that like, I'm sure his label and his team took the time to like train him and make him like right. super like so he's like uh, prepared prepared for this to, to do that i did yeah. not know that so he's right. never been on tour before he's never been on tour he's done like you know that's when, fucking nuts i did not know that he's done those rap festivals where like let's say you have one big song you like show up and you play like a 15 minute set 
yeah, yeah. Um, right. but I, I wouldn't call that a tour that's like you're doing yeah. five ten appearance five to ten appearances in a year maybe across festivals and tv shows this yeah. is yeah. like a proper on a bus or private jet for him maybe like on yeah. a tour you know yeah <laughs> right i think I you're 100 percent um, right i bet it took a while for them to help him develop that I just have like a quick question here. Mm. Do you think that like we talked about how everything's so fractured and so niche now going forward? Are there still going to be like super DJs that tour like stadiums in the way? Because like with comedy, I don't think those days are gone. I feel where if like we're not going to have any more like Chris Rocks or like huge, mm. huge guys. Like I think like John mm. Mulaney, like Ali Wong is probably like, the last of that. Mm. Everything everyone can like our tastes are become so specific and you can mm. find people who cater to that. And mm. I'm wondering if something like that exists in the EDM space where, because back then there was like, everyone knows Tiesto, everyone mm-hmm. knows like Steve Aoki, but mm-hmm. even mm. like in the contemporary generation, like, mm-hmm. do you think those effects are felt in, in your industry? Mm, it's so interesting. Capacity is something I think a lot about because like, you know, when we, when I go on tour, I do, um, I would say my average is like 2000 cap rooms. And so mm. I kind of know my personal cap in terms of right. like, what I can achieve, like in when we did New York last year, we did two nights, but it was like 5,000 each night. And then the same for LA. Those are like our biggest cities, five, 5,000, two nights, so 10,000 total. But to play like an arena or something big where you have a massive movement of, of people coming to see you is quite hard for two reasons. One, it's seated where like at an mm. EDM show, you don't want to be not necessarily right. in your seat, but like stuck in the seat that you're assigned, like standing at the, at the seat, right? Right, um, right. Two, you would have to reach like a very specific critical point in momentum to be able to play arenas. So like Odessa going off a three album run um, in 2017, they did like an arena tour. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. rare, like not a lot of artists can get to that level. Elenium, who mm-hmm. I mentioned before, got right. to arenas. There's also a point where like you become very successful and you might have like massive global hits, but like the interest in seeing you live might come down a little bit. So you have to like mm-hmm. hit it hit it at the right time. I think staying consistent at, at arenas and stadiums is, is pretty difficult to do. Um, that said, doing multiple nights at like a thousand to five thousand cap venue is still pretty like there's a lot of artists that just just end up doing that or they play like um, the thing right under arenas, which would yeah. be like a theater at about five thousand caps or something like Radio that's City. Huge. Yeah. So that's like yeah. kind of the bar for for artists. I, I would say that like there's enough like sub places to reach a certain point of popularity where you can play thousand to 5,000 cap rooms on, on your own headline tour, sure. but mm-hmm. breaking into the arena. That's, that's the other thing. Like someone like Swedish house mafia, another question would be like, why would you want to see them in arena? You know, it, it'd be much better yeah. to see them maybe headline a festival or, or play at like a right. really big club. That's kind right. of like the, right. like kind of the, like the notion that of that, you know, sometimes arenas in the electronic world aren't the same as like, you're seeing a rock band playing an arena or seeing a comedian right. like um, right, right. do Madison Square Garden. You know, it's kind of a different, different world, you know? Well, to piggyback off of that, what are, what would you say are some misunderstood things about UDM? So I guess the first common thing is the whole like, oh, it's just pressing play, I guess, for, for, <laughs> D, for, for DJs. There's just pressing a button on his computer. There's like, there's like, th- Man, there's so many different lenses to to look 
look at that at <laughs> to so so to clarify i would say like what i do as jai wolf like we have like a live electronic show that's not djing yeah. it's it's a little different it's more like playing samples playing vocal chops playing synths that's like our show right i yeah. also dj as like a secondary aspect of of what Jai Wolf can do live. You know, like if you go okay. see Odessa, they have like their whole drum line, they have like horns players. That's like a live electronic show. And then maybe they'll do like a club appearance and do like a DJ set after party. So when right, you're right. when you're mm. when you're DJing, which is like a much easier topic to talk about in terms of the whole press play thing, be- because it's very like ingrained in pop culture. <laughs> when you're DJing, your goal is to blend from one song to the next song seamlessly. Mm. And then mm. make sure that the seamless nature of your show from minute one to minute 60 feels like, you know, consistent energy right. and, and like there's no like awkward transitions. You're like just getting the hits every single time, you know, mm-hmm. and there's obviously there's different types of DJing. There's DJing at a club. There's DJing at a bar. There's DJing at a festival, like a all, strip club. at a strip club. Sure. At there's a wedding. Yeah. At a wedding. <laughs> totally, totally different at experiences. Bar mitzvah. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it, uh, I, I think the core aspect of it, if you like subtract maybe the EDM lens, the, the main aspect of DJing is making sure the crowd is having a good time. Right. So like it's easy to see a very quick snippet of an artist playing a drop of a song and they're jumping up and down and they're, they're, they're doing the Tiesto arms and you're yeah. like, you're not doing anything. You just press play. Because yeah. in that video, you're not seeing them do the transition. You never transition yeah during the drop unless you're quick mixing i guess but like if you're playing a big song and the drop is averaging between 45 seconds to a minute long yeah yeah, yeah. there's no transition there so like right it's funny that like (laughs) and the the other thing about this that i think is so fascinating is that carrying the vibe like they don't understand that that's a you're curating and carrying the vibe yeah to get to the point of where people are like (gasps) like that took you this like this it's like moving yeah, it's like, yeah. You have to work your way there. But the other thing right. that's really funny about this. It's a yeah. skill, yeah. Uh, Brian, you, you said that you went to Hard Summer in 2008. And, you know, like, it's actually kind of funny. I'm playing Hard Summer in two weeks for 2022. Oh, it's um, nice. <laughs> And, yeah, it's still alive and well. It's now a three-day festival. My first wow. few years playing it, it was a two-day. Now it's three days. Wow. But, but what's interesting Brian, is that. Brian, go. <laughs> relive your glory days brian <laughs> well what's interesting is that like now that tiktok is a thing like i had yeah. some dj friends um one of them posted a video of them playing at someone's like birthday party it was like their friends and they're like right. a really big dj like they they're they're they headline festivals they're, they're here, at yeah. they're at some party they're they're playing on decks and they, they play their own song and someone in the comments was like what's so special about this you just press play I think the the most fascinating about reading that comment in 2022 is that people still are making that comment. I've been seeing yeah. that comment since when I was getting into electronic and EDM, so like 2010. So the fact that like this person decided to write this a, a comment that's not very original, it just mm-hmm. it just kind of goes to show that like this next generation is still like like I guess that that myth still exists that like oh being yeah. a DJ is easy, it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. an easy job, all that. You and know then, who's spreading it? You know who's spreading uh, that myth, right? Immigrant ki- moms. <laughs> well, just pressing a button. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, there's that, and then <laughs> that's like what my Korean mom would say. <laughs> there's that, and then there's also just the 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 like I, I have to like remind my friends like, dude, it's like kids on TikTok. These are like teenagers. Yeah, they're, they're children. They're they're, they're yeah. trolls. Literal out of all, children. Out of all the social yeah. media, like 
YouTube has probably the most god awful comments that you'll ever see. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Reddit is also pretty bad because it's anonymous. Like they're not adding you. Like you can come across a thread mm -hmm. about you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, I would say TikTok specifically, because of this whole anonymous thing you're talking about, it's probably the easiest place to be anonymous, but also the yeah. easiest place for a teenager to be engaging with other people. So like. Mm. Mm. You'll just see some of the most god awful uh, troll comments on there. I am like, this is a sad child that's been neglected, and he they want attention from somebody. Wait, can I? Speaking what? of immigrant moms, can we ask about your upbringing and your Bangladeshi roots, and then like yeah. how that might have influenced your music and your creative pursuits, and also like maybe how how did you get into EDM? Yeah, so I used to play violin when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. My my mom used to take me to lessons since I was five. So I was classic, oh, wow. classically trained. Very wow, typical Asian experience. I. Uh, um, competed in like solo repertoire competitions and played in orchestra. Um, when I used to live in Pennsylvania, I was like concert master in my middle school. It was my claim Yo. to fame. Wow. But then, Let's go. But then when I when I moved to Long Island, New York, oh, no. every <laughs> single Asian played violin. It's and like corrupted. <laughs> and I remember by I was in the advanced orchestra or whatever, but by senior year I was like last chair because I like just didn't give a shit. <laughs> I was like, yo, yeah. these these guys are real prodigies, and I thought I oh. was good. But okay. I I think looking back, I was not a prodigy. I was just like I knew how to work. I I, I could I worked hard for it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what I mm -hmm. realized is that I had reached a certain point where I just couldn't get better. You know, like it mm. wasn't coming natural to me anymore. And that was around yeah. the time that I like was more interested in playing, um, playing guitar. Playing guitar mm -hmm. was very like cool to me as like a teenager. And then that's how I got into producing music because I wanted to be in a band, but a lot of my friends didn't have the same taste me as me. Not that it was yeah. e eclectic. It was just like no one I knew was listening to the same bands I was listening to. Gotcha. And so because of that, I had to write all the parts for the song. So if I was producing right. a song or writing a song, I would have to sing, play guitar, play bass, and program the drums. Mm. That's that's how I got my start with producing. And then I would say with electronic music, my uh, I was always into like anything with synthesizers. If it was rap music, like Usher, yeah, like Dana, Dana, yeah, like that song, like. Mm -hmm. it's like the synth line right that to me was ear catching so any mm, genre right. of music that had electronic influence whatever i was really into and so when edm was getting really big i kind of shifted into trying to make edm like straight on dubstep house whatever like i had a project before jai wolf um where i was doing that and then mm -hmm. started jai wolf in 2014 I would say, you know, I get the question a lot, like, does being South Asian affect your music? Um, and a lot of people ask that because of Indian Summer. Uh, I would say yeah. that I would say that since then, I haven't really written anything like Indian Summer. So right. you know, in, in the last few years, in the last seven years, my music has been very devoid of any South Asian influence or anything like that. But what's, right. in, what's interesting about the question is that it still doesn't take away from me as a South Asian person, does it make me any less South Asian, I would say? No, for sure. And in fact, my entire narrative has still sort of like led to this point. Like even even things like work ethic and like 
being South Asian, being in a South Asian household and, and committing to like something that you're working on, like totally, totally. was something I, I got from my parents. And uh, that still bleeds into how I approach writing music. And then, of course, like the classical element, like the idea of being um, a child of an immigrant and like taking music lessons is, is definitely a universal like musical experience. So a lot of that I still carry into what I do, how I write and all that. Um, right. Yeah. But I'm I would like, yeah, sorry, like that's that i that's i mean i hear you a hundred percent and um i think you bring up a lot of great points because you know just you existing as a south asian person is like that's all you need that's valid that's all you need exactly yeah of itself i guess my follow-up question is you know with your hit song like indian summer Mm -hmm. that's how i was introduced to your music and i heard it i'm like oh shit like there's definitely like a south asian sound to this like Mm-hmm. at that time when you noticed how big it had gotten mm-hmm. was there any part of you that was like i struck something here maybe i should make lean into this some more like mm. or mm. has it always just been sort of like an organic thing for you just making whatever f- feels to you that's a good question um mm. you know what's funny is that that song was not overnight like that okay. song took almost two years before it was reaching like a, a crazy level of like i don't know oh, it's, wow. it's 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 different like these days like something can blow up on tiktok and just just immediately do like one of that you know like exponential right, right. Yeah. but with indian summer yeah. it was kind of like this this like very steady ascent yeah for for two or three years and mm-hmm. um i think like at that time i never thought about replicating it okay. uh I think I think because I had released it and I thought I didn't think too much of it. I was like, if you if you quote you can quote my manager on this, but like I, I straight up was like, this is a weird song. <laughs> like the yeah. con- the context that it was released, I was like, this is just like a beat. You know, it's just mm. a beat. It's not like a song. And you know, because it was released through Odessa's record label, they had just launched. It was the third single off their label, and like just started getting synced everywhere. It was in like commercials, TV shows, movies. It was mm-hmm. literally just in Miss um, Marvel like this week on Wednesday. Uh, wow. like this new Mar- <laughs> Marvel show on Disney Plus. So like All right, let's even, go. <laughs> even, even seven years later, it's like, you know, existing in, in pop culture or whatever. Yeah. But but in terms of replicating that, I it never really came across. I never thought about it. Uh, yeah. One, because I had it wasn't something that I felt like represented me, which is really okay. interesting. Cause like there's a lot mm-hmm. of talk about representation and all that stuff. Yeah. I just yeah. felt like there was other things in music that really resonated with me from like yeah. specific, like synthesizer sounds or drum samples. Like I was more drawn towards different pathways of expressing music, you know? Yeah. And right, so right. I felt like if I had tried to make, you know, uh, an album's worth of Indian summers, yeah, which I easily could have done. And what I think a lot of people had expected me to do, I, I don't mm-hmm. think it would have been genuine despite me yeah. being a South Asian person. I think yep. me mm. as a human being, it would have yeah. felt yeah. disingenuine. And then this like, is, yeah, this is where For I sure. say that there's, there's other people doing that who do it way better than I do in my opinion. Totally. And like, I think it's great that that exists, you know? 
I think that it's so important. We we always end up having some some form of this discussion, I think, with every guest, where I think it's very important what you said, because first of all, I like what you said of, of how your upbringing and being South Asian shows up in different parts of your work and life that people don't expect, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, but also, yeah, you got to be true to yourself. And that doesn't and sometimes when people lean into that, like, oh, Asian identity, it does feel a little exploitative because they're doing it because they're trying to tap, trying to, like, exploit that fan base, I think. And there's you a know, lot of um, I have a lot of complex thoughts about it. Like, yeah, I think in good faith, it's nice to assume that everyone is doing it from like a genuine place yeah right but at the same time because we live in like a very like identity oriented landscape where like you know Mm. a lot of white people are trying to overcompensate and give opportunities to minorities like a lot of Mm. minorities will sort of end up leaning into that Mm. and like there's nothing wrong with it because at the end of the day it it is who you are for sure i think with 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 south asians in particular it's a little tricky because like it could be seen as pandering. It could be seen as like yeah. gimmick, gimmicky, I guess. And like, it's kind of hard to break out of it. There's so many different ways to utilize South Asian influence without feeling tacky or gimmicky. There's no right. right yeah. There's no right or wrong way. Obviously, everyone has their own subjective taste and everything. Yeah. Um, like I found some incredible TikTok artists who have been like blending the South Asian sounds and Bollywood with like pop music. Like, I think that's great. I think it's cool. Like it's, it's fresh. It's cool to like see that expressed and there has to be like a, someone has to be doing it, you know, at the end of the day. For sure. At the end of the day, I just try to support the people that I believe in. Like I've supported artists who like do tap into their South Asian influence. I've supported Mm -hmm. artists who are like, like me are very devoid of it. Like, I just support whatever I like at the end of the day. I do, yeah. There's there's obviously also going to be like things that you don't like will also inform the things that you do like. But there's to me, it's almost like there's no point in like publicly stating what you don't like, you know? No, but not in terms, at all. In terms I agree. The, in terms of the accent thing, though, that's where it gets a little dicey because I see this in, in South Asian yeah. comedians a lot, too. I've seen comedians call calling out other comedians for relying on the accent and like i've seen the accent done tastefully yes. like there's there's right. a lot yeah. of layers to that the one thing i have to say about that though is that i i've seen people on tiktok because tiktok is a way to gain an audience to gain 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 uh, sure. followers i've definitely seen intentional exploitative accent stuff where like you're doing Oof. it as, as like a bit and like yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's when if you're doing it as a bit and you're doing it every day, that's a little different than doing it cleverly, you know? Yeah. And again, yeah, I, I, think I think it it's entirely yeah. reliant on those people's experiences because maybe some people are like from Asia proper and that's what they grew up with, or there's people yeah, who are like that's from America born and raised in America and then yeah. randomly putting it on. That, it's like, what the fuck why are you doing that? That's funny you say that because actually I found this girl yeah, who so different. There's there's two girls actually. One girl I did some digging and, and uh, I realized that she was actually like, she had a normal American accent. She was putting on the accent. I had to like really dig Ooh, and, and, and find a video. And <laughs> wow, I was like, really? Yeah. But then I found another girl who had a, had a very similar vibe and she was doing the like typical Indian accent. Someone called her out and then she was like, yo, this is actually my accent. Like this is how I talk. And because, because she was like being funny and she had a very like Americanized sense of Western humor because you know how like humor, humor is different globally because she was saying stuff like, 
you know, like Gen Z westernized humor. Someone thought that she was an yeah. American putting on an accent. And then the comments, people That's were getting flamed. I'm sorry, the, the original commenter was getting flamed. Like, oh, you, you thought you're so woke. You're, you're gonna call. <laughs> but then it's it's sad because it's getting weaponized by like, right. you know, people on the right who are like, yeah, yeah. see, like, you should, the accent is okay, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It's the like, the intention eh. was good. The in, yeah. It's, yeah. It's weird. It's, complica- it's, it's complicated and weird, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, listeners, um, we reached the point in our podcast where we're going to hit Sajib with our regular rotation of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And we're switching it up a bit because we're going to put his responses behind the Patreon paywall. So if you want to hear what all Sajib of them. is loving, what he's hating, what he's ashamed of, but we'll let, we'll clue you in on what he's proud of. But if you want to hear the rest, go check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. Well, Sajib, thank you so much for such a wonderful conversation. And before we let you go, we like to ask all of our guests this one last question. And that is, what is something you're proud of? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I'm... Oh. Man, uh, I might have to think about this. Let's see. Um, I'm proud of, uh, like, in for myself, or can I be proud of someone else? It has or? to be. No, it has to be for yourself. <laughs> for people yourself. People have been trying. People try to get away from this by uh, being like, "I'm proud of my wife" or something. <laughs> um, well, to tie back to something we mentioned before, I, I would say I'm quite proud of personal resilience uh Mm -hmm. because being an artist or you know in any field if you're musician comedian whatever it it can be quite a brutal industry to be in and like you know i've seen i've seen it wear down a lot of people Mm -hmm. and i'm glad that like going back to work ethic and going back to like toughing it out you know a lot of that skill set that i feel like i picked up from my parents and applying it to what I do has helped a lot. And like, I would say that that's something that I pride myself in that like, I feel like we've been able to roll with the punches. Like any anytime there's been um, obstacles or hurdles because you're gonna face thousands of them, like no matter where you are in your career, there's always um, something that happens. It's always about how you like react to it. Um, that kind of like, well, move you forward as, as a, as a person or an artist or a growing being or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Re- I would say, I would say resilience, you know, I think that's, that's a, it's a, it's a good trait to, to have. Yeah. I love that your, your answer tied in your upbringing and like, you know, your culture. And I really like how you said that you took that and applied it to your life as a DJ, which, you know, is, is fascinating, you know? And I think it's, um, it's really great because there is there is like a stereotype that, you know, Asian people don't want their kids to be creative or whatever, which is not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. It's just a stereotype. But mm-hmm. the fact that you took the qualities that you were raised with and applied it to whatever you wanted to is really inspiring. On top of that, there's also um, the other thing, the other side of that that I, I find interesting is that for someone like me, I, I'm an only child, I have no siblings. So uh-huh. th- I have no, um, no safety net. Like mm. for me, it's kind of like it, this has to work out, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, right. um, and so, or, and especially in terms of my parents coming here, it's like, 
then what was the point of them coming here if it doesn't work out? So there's kind of like right. that, like we all know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, and that applies. That applies to that applies to like any any feel. If you're trying to be a doctor, uh, your, right, your, right. your parents came here bec- and and gave you the opportunity Oof. to to go to med school and all that. Like you could apply it to to no matter what you do. It's something a lot of immigrants sort of sort of feel. But again, that like drive and and having having drive and having resilience. Like those are the things that like I would say I'm proud of. So. I love that. That's um, great. Yeah. So for our listeners out there, where can they find you and your work online? Where can they find your tour dates? Um, so yeah, you were sort of wrapping up this album era. Like I, I put out an album in 2019 uh, called The Cure to Loneliness. And, mm-hmm. you know, post COVID, we're just doing kind of like a celebratory festival run. Mm-hmm. I'll be up playing in Seattle at the end of July and then hard summer at the end of July. Um, doing like a DJ set in New York in August. Um, all the stuff, I guess, on my website, jiwolf.co, not com, mm-hmm. just CO, I think. <laughs> uh, I'm on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. I have a TikTok now just to stay nice. on top of, you know, if you like cats, you see a lot of my cat on TikTok. Um, nice. Instagram, whatever, like, you know. But yeah, we're just celebrating the end of the album era and, and getting to do um, this this show that I'm super proud of and just run it a few more times before we retire it. That's yeah. so great. What uh, if your what cat TikTok... Oh, sorry. What if your cat TikTok blows up mega and then you have to yeah. transition into just a cat TikTok person? That's the goal. <laughs> That's the goal. Like, uh, I don't want to be... the dream. I'm not trying to, like, shake my ass on, on TikTok or anything. Like, I'm trying to get Remy famous so that nice. I don't have to put in the work in marketing myself. She can just do the work for, for me. And then, like... It's the dream. You know, Duh, yeah. the the dj to cat influencer pipeline pipeline yeah exactly we're, we're witnessing it right now oh yeah trying uh, att- attempting <laughs> and what about you young me where can our listeners find you you can find me at ym mayor or on tiktok as well at young me mayor and what about you brian y'all can find me online at it's brian park and be sure to follow our podcast online at feeling asian podcast and uh check out our patreon at feeling uh, patreon.com slash feeling asian and that's it, everyone. Thanks again, Sajib, for such a wonderful conversation. And everyone, go check them out. Jai Wolf on all streaming platforms. All right, take care, guys, and we'll see you here next all week. Right. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone. If you've made it this far into the episode, it's time to do some Patreon shout-outs. And it's been a while since we've done a combo shout-out. I know. <laughs> we've been going solo, and they've been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to combine forces here and tackle these this week's Patreon shoutouts. But a quick reminder, everyone, uh, if you like the podcast, please support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Uh, check us out. Different subscription tiers. We have a Q&A with Youngmi's mom coming up in, on August, in the first week of August. And Ooh. we're shaking up the Patreon episode formats. That way we can ask our wonderful guests some juicier questions. But without further ado, any donation amount gets you a shout out on the podcast. So let's jump into this week's shout outs. All right, Young Me. First shout out goes out to Sally Lufsanseren. Sal- wow. Sally. A Sally. Sally in the I wild. I love it. I love a Sally. We we need to bring Sally back. Underrated Bring name the Sallys sure. back. Yeah. It's such a like uh, depression era like flapper girl name. I love it. <laughs> so Sally Lufsan Seren. 
What are you getting from Sally? Sally. I feel like with a name like Sally, you have great taste you know it's like your theory brian it's like do artists and like cool people have cool names or do they be or is it because they're born with a cool name and they have to like live up to it yeah yeah nominative like determinism that. i think Sa yes. i agree sally has great taste sally is ooh, i'm gonna guess maybe an interior designer i was seeing like a dress is a fashion designer or something but okay, so yeah, you're saying fashion could, designer i'm going interior yeah. designer but we agree that she works in design yeah she's a tastemaker and you have great taste in podcasts so thanks for supporting us <laughs> sally next shout out goes Thank out you. to erica pistor i'm seeing crossfit Eric. oh yeah yep like yeah that's the vibe for sure <laughs> super fit maybe lots of pilates <gasps> Yeah, some sort of body. Actually, is Pilates uh, the new CrossFit? No, Pilates is just... I do Pilates. It's very different. It's like a very different kind of workout. It's very popular though, right? Yeah, but I feel like it's it's been popular. Reformer You, you think there's like Pilates. a resurgence? But there's different types of Pilates, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Reformer Pilates is all the rage on the machine. Oh, you think there's like a resurgence? I I feel like it's always been popular, but I don't know. Maybe I, I have not had my. I think you're just cooler. Than, maybe you've just known, and I'm really basic. And I saw a TikTok, and I'm like, yeah, this is all the rage right now. Reformer Pilates. <laughs> I know it's marketed towards women because they. This is what they say, but they say Pilates develops your muscle in a lean, long way. Mm. You know, it, like not like a bulky way okay so that's why it's always sort of been targeted toward what well, i don't know if that's true but i mean yeah and i i don't know i i like it when i do a lot of pilates i feel like i get it does feel very slimming well erica you're strong you're super fit and uh you're, you're you're leading the way in the fitness realm that's our guess and you know what there's no there's no way a woman's body should be so do crossfit you don't i'm gonna quit pilates and do crossfit because i'm gonna bulk up and be let's muscular, go right <laughs> i'm down yeah that's what i'm trying to do <laughs> next shout out goes out to margaret shum i'm gonna guess that this is harry shum jr's uh sister Who's Harry Shum Jr.? He was in Everything Everywhere All At Once. He was the chef with the raccoon on his head. He, I think he was in Glee. He's like a oh, child. He's like a famous. Like, he's been famous forever. Isn't he super hot? Yeah, he's also super hot. He's so hot. Oh my God. Yeah, this is definitely his sister. And please ask him if he wants to have a human decency. Con oh, that wasn't the Patreon. I was talking about dating and the Patreon and how I couldn't meet one normal nice person. Oh my god. Um, I'm gonna slide into those DMs. I'm like, I know your sister. <laughs> Margaret. Yeah, so this can go either one of two ways. Either you are actually Harry Shum Jr.'s sister or everyone assumes you're related and it's super fucking annoying when people do that. But they think you're related because you're so fucking hot, too. So you <laughs> ah, look... yes, yes, Right? Yes. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> next shout-out goes out to Hemi So. Hemi So. I'm getting... Um, I'm getting, like, this person is, like, a 
very i'm not also seeing like the artsy fartsy person again mm. but i i see food i'm seeing like a bakery dessert kind of oh chef i was gonna say a f i was seeing flowers floral floral designer but like yeah these really expensive fashion shows all go to hemi for their for their flower like orders that. and stuff I could see that those like ten thousand dollar bouquets. Oh yeah, that's what that's the that's who's Hemi Hemi's clients are, Louis Vuitton, and all of those subsidiary companies. For sure. Yeah, or like you said, Hemi is a. What did you say? Baker. <laughs> a baker. <laughs> like a like a cool baker or like one of those like chocolatiers or something. Yeah, move over, Mac. right? Move over. Max Brenner. Hemi Sowens in town. Max Brenner. <laughs> Getting real New York in this one. And the last yeah. shout out goes out to Jasmine Quintero. I'm seeing this person is I'm seeing mid twenties. Okay. Right? Eyeglasses. I'm seeing very smart. Uh Pisces. <gasps> Pisces. Yeah, I'm getting a Pisces vibe too. Wow, interesting. Did you just throw that in there? I just threw that in there. <laughs> Couldn't tell you a single thing about Pisces other than uh, people seem to not like them. But I don't. I don't think this is the case. I <laughs> well, okay. I'm technically supposed to not like Pisces because I'm a Sagittarius, but my best friend is a Pisces, so, so it can work. Yeah, but Jasmine Quintero is uh, subverting. You're doing the work to uh, rebrand Pisces stigma. A likable Pisces. You're a likable Pisces. Maybe Aquarius cusp. That's Are Aquarius well liked? I think they're like more like fun going, easy going, and people like them, but they're also like really flaky and like head in the clouds. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, Jasmine, you you are all the only the positive things of these <laughs> astrology <laughs> sites. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, wraps up this week's shout outs. Uh, thank you all for supporting the podcast. And once again, if you'd like to do so, you can do it at patreon.com slash feeling Asian.